Please pray with me. Lord, don't settle our hearts too much after that, but settle our busy minds. Open our hearts so that we may hear what it is you have to say to each one of us in this place and in this time or wherever it is and whenever it is that we sit with this worship service. As always, may my words be your words. Amen. So indeed, here we are at the end of our summer series that looked at Jesus' meals in the Gospel of Luke. We started with the biggie, literally, the feeding of more than 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, not Swedish fish. A miracle of abundant generosity. Then we visited with Zacchaeus once he came down from that sycamore tree, and we watched Jesus invite himself to dinner at Zach's house, and then watched as in front of that street full of grumblers, Jesus restored him to full community and declared him a child of Abraham like all the others. After that, we joined Jesus as he went to dinner at a Pharisee's home. That would be kind of like going to the pastor's house for supper. At this meal, Jesus taught us that there are no pecking orders in the kingdom of God. He taught us to look for the blind, the lame, the poor, and the crippled, and invite them to the party because there's a seat for everyone at God's table. The next week, we went once again to the home of a Pharisee and heard the astounding tale of a woman with an alabaster jar of costly perfume who made a spectacle of herself at the dinner table, all because she had found love and acceptance with Jesus. And at each of these meals, we've asked ourselves, What's the lesson for the church in this story at this particular meal? And now we hear the final meal story, a story that is usually referred to as the road to Emmaus. I think a better title might be the road of broken dreams. Why? Well, let's go back to the very beginning and look closely. <clears throat> the reading starts, On that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, what day? Well, it's actually the very first Easter. Jesus has been crucified on Friday, and on this Sunday morning, his body is missing. And who are these two, two of them? Well, they are followers of Jesus, not some of the twelve, but disciples, those that had followed and put their faith and trust into this itinerant prophet named Jesus. And what things are they talking about? Well, the death of this prophet of theirs, the surprising events of Holy Week, the shock that after riding triumphantly into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey last Sunday, this Sunday Jesus is now dead, having met a scandalous end reserved for criminals and traitors. What in the world went wrong in the last seven days? This is the road of broken dreams. They had hoped and imagined that this prophet was the one. He would be the savior of Israel, rescue them from the oppression of Rome, set the world back right. They had followed him all over the place, listening to his preaching, watching him heal and tend to the wounded and the brokenhearted, and they could have easily been in that crowd of 5,000, fed with five loaves and two fish. And now, 
Now they are beside themselves with grief and disappointment. All that they had dreamed and hoped for vanished on a terrible Friday afternoon. And so, Passover or not, they are leaving. They need to get out of Dodge. And they may also be a bit afraid that if the authorities connect them with Jesus, they could meet the same fate that he did. And so they leave behind all their dreams, and they head home. Back to their lives as fishermen or tradesmen or craftsmen, whatever it was that they did before this man had given them a new vision for life, they returned to their old life, leaving broken dreams behind in Jerusalem. Have you ever been there? Devastated by the course of life's events? So confused about why something you thought was such a sure thing has been smashed to smithereens? Maybe it was a career dream or a marriage that went south, a debilitating illness that took away the life you had known, or the worst, the loss of someone you adored and cherished. There are just too many ways that our own paths in life can become roads of broken dreams. And so we can appreciate the state that these two were in when who should come along beside them but Jesus himself. I love how Luke says that. Jesus himself came near and went with them. But they don't recognize him. Here he is, right there with him, walking and talking to them, and they are blind to his true identity. Why is that? Our Wednesday afternoon Bible study group had a field day wondering about that question. Of course, we'd all like to think that we'd recognize someone we loved if they joined us on our daily walk. But let's remember a few things. In their thinking brains, the brain they use to solve problems and live life cognitively, that brain knows that Jesus has died. He is dead. So right there, I'd wager that the last person they would expect to see would be a dead person. This is not in the realm of any of our experiences, right? To meet the dead in our waking hours. So number one, their thinking brains wouldn't be able to process this, wouldn't even throw it up as a possibility. And then number two, add in their grief and their broken dreams. Have you ever been engulfed in grief? I have, and I can tell you it is overwhelming and blinding. You forget what day it is. Have you taken a shower today? Did you buy anything for dinner tonight? Did you even eat breakfast or lunch? Who knows? Grief, fresh grief, has a life of its own that overtakes us like a tidal wave, and it can render us lost and confused in ways we've never been before. So perhaps these are some of the reasons that he was unrecognizable to them on that road. But Jesus asks them, what are they talking about? And they are stopped dead in their tracks. How in the world can this stranger not know what has happened in Jerusalem? What has happened to Jesus on that fateful Friday is so central to their lives, they cannot imagine anyone else isn't affected. For them, it is an event that has colored the entire world. How could anyone not be talking about it? And so they launch into the whole sordid story, 
all the way through the tale of the women told this very morning about finding the empty tomb, seeing a vision of angels, claiming Jesus to be alive. But of course they share, no one has actually seen him alive. And then Jesus launches into the longest sermon in history. For seven miles, he unravels the scriptures for them. I won't do that to you today. But for seven miles... He unravels all of it, from Moses and all the prophets all the way to the present day. What do you think he told them? What do you think would be the highlights that would be important to him? I have a feeling that he told them the stories of life emerging from chaos, of promises that seem to go unfulfilled until they are of freedom and a homeland that emerged from centuries of slavery in Egypt, of a renewed people that came out of the destruction that exile rendered. In short, I bet he told them the story of salvation, meaning of life, new life that follows death of every sort. I imagine he told them the story of God, a story that is always for life, a story that is about love itself, always seeking out the lost and forsaken, a story about promises that are always kept, in short, the greatest story ever told, the story of God's love for all of us. Now, like lots of good Disney stories, God's stories usually include some hardship and heartache, if not a lot. It is not a rose garden. It is not a Garden of Eden story. It is a story of trust and faith that we are never alone on whatever road life finds us. And here, indeed, the two disheartened, grief-stricken friends find they are not alone either. They still don't recognize that Jesus walks with them, but don't we all do that? When have you been lost or confused, felt abandoned and alone, only to realize later that God had indeed accompanied you, that in your place of deep sadness, God sent someone who became a dear and trusted friend? Or the right job came along just when the bank account emptied out? Or the deep struggles you had accepting that difficult diagnosis had, through prayer and support, been transmuted into acceptance and a new vision of what healthy might mean. There are just so many places in our lives that God has us by the hand, we just don't realize it in the moment. And of course, that is where our faith must come in, that somehow we trust we are not alone. At a very low point in my life, I was very fond of quipping, well, God's in Iowa right now. It was my way of saying I was trying to trust that God was there, but it didn't feel like God was very close to me in the moment. And then we remember Erasmus' famous words, bidden or not bidden, God is present. So back to our story. It's now getting late. Our friends have trudged the seven-mile journey, probably captivated by this man's command of scripture and eloquent preaching. And as they approach Emmaus, Jesus starts to act like he's going on, and our friends protest. They haul out their very good Jewish hospitality and insist that he come and stay. It is much too late to continue on the journey alone, and after all, it's supper time, time to eat. 
And it is this hospitality to the stranger that becomes the doorway to grace for them. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them, and voila, they recognize him. Had they been at that feeding of the 5,000 and witnessed him do the exact same thing? Take bread, bless it, break it, give it out? We don't know. All we do know for sure is that at this table, at this meal, with the breaking of the bread, they know him. And then poof, he's gone. It is the most frustrating part of the story for me. Vanished, just like that. But it doesn't seem to matter to them, does it? Once they get it, they get it. So even that quick instant, that little experience of Jesus is enough. They rejoice in their discovery. They share the burning of their hearts when he was walking with them. And then just like that, in the evening, after having already walked seven miles, they hightail it back to Jerusalem. Why? Because revelation always demands declaration, the sharing of the experience with others. And of course, the best part? All those broken dreams, they've been mended, right? They find themselves in the pattern of the world that Jesus had described to them on the road. The end is never the end. The promises are always kept. New life follows death. And that's a wrap for Luke's gospel. Not exactly. Later this very evening, when these two make it back to Jerusalem, they will join the others, tell their amazing story of broken dreams mended in the breaking of bread, and then guess who will show up? Jesus himself, as Luke says, will appear, and guess what? He will tell them he's hungry and ask for something to eat, and they will all dine on broiled fish. This year, I can't help but hear this story as a PCWS story. Perhaps you feel some of the same broken dreams about your future, given both the pandemic and the short tenures of Lottie and Eric. Perhaps you feel like you're on a very long journey that doesn't seem to end. Perhaps the future that you thought was a sure thing here at PCWS isn't quite in focus right now. Perhaps like these two friends, you find yourselves talking with each other about all these things that have happened here. What I want us to remember is that I think this story tells us that when we find ourselves on the road of broken dreams, that's not the end. What we often don't recognize at first is that we do not walk alone, ever that God accompanies us, even if we can't see it in the moment, and that like those stories Jesus unpacked for these two on the road to Emmaus, God's story is always a story of life, for life, new life following death. It may take us a while to see what that new life looks like. We may be prevented from seeing it until we're really ready. But this story seems in some ways to be our story again. So if we go back to the whole summer, what have we learned from these meals that Jesus has attended? Well, I think number one is that hospitality has been the key element in every one of these meal stories. And sometimes Jesus is the one that even invites himself. One thing has been very clear to me. 
Whether you invite him or he invites himself, once Jesus joins your meal, he becomes the host. And with him as the host, the most amazing things happen. You may be declared a child of Abraham in front of all sorts of grumbling people. You may witness abundance like you've never experienced it before. You may see outcasts and outsiders embraced and loved back to wholeness. You may hear the stories of our faith in new ways that enlighten life for you. Perhaps from this story, the question that we will ask ourselves is, what conversations should we be having on this road of transition that we walk together right now? Just remember that the promise of this story is that Jesus will always meet us in the breaking of the bread, in the sharing of meals, in the telling of stories. So, maybe walking a road of broken dreams isn't such a bad thing after all if it leads us to Jesus and new life. Amen.